Welcome to Word is Truth. This is Doug Presley, and uh, it is February 24th, 2021. We're continuing uh, our Wednesday service, and uh, we would like to have a word of prayer. Let's bow our heads. Thank you, Father, for life, health, and strength that you have given us. We pray for traveling mercies for those who are still on the road and traveling. And we pray and thank you for those who have joined our study this evening. We pray for wisdom, knowledge. Uh, we pray for your direction and guidance as we address scriptures, thoughts that come from you and uh, things that are outside of human understanding. So we depend on you to allow the Spirit to teach us. All these things we ask in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. All right. Amen. So, as, Amen. You, as you know, we are studying in the book of Romans. We have reached the end of Romans chapter 8. So what we thought was we would do a review and... Uh, we have notes tonight, and the notes, hopefully, we'll have opportunity to get to that. But first, we take some time for Q&A. So, the floor is open. Well, my question is, uh, is con concerning the white, the great white throne, I mean, the lambs. Uh, book of Life, Lamb's Book of Life. And basically, my question is, are believers added to the Lamb's Book of Life upon believing in the Lord Jesus Christ? Or are they taken out? In other words, are they removed from the Lamb's Book of Life upon believing in the Lord Jesus Christ? Hmm. So, and I don't know, uh, <laughs> Dwight, did you have a further question? So. Well, no, I don't have a further question, but I was wondering um, if, it, if the criteria should change. So in other words, are they added to the book of life when they believe? And then are they taken out of the book of life, life when they reject the gospel rather than... You said believe. Yeah, basically, this, that's my question. Okay, that's all. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, it's, so are people added to the book of life? Uh, there's a, it's a good question. So this is this is a tough one. <laughs> so, I think we just want to make sure that we understand the nuances that are here before we uh, just conclude that the Book of Life uh, is believers added to it. Um, because there are some, some scriptures that talk about people being blotted out of the Book of Life. So if you're a believer and your name was added because you believed in Christ, there are scriptures. Uh, I could say, I know your scripture is in... Revelation 21, where it talks about the Lamb's Book of Life. But there are scriptures that talk about uh, 
the possibility of being blotted out. For instance, Revelation 3, 5. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before the Father, before my Father, and his angels. So, for years I used to think, how do I handle this verse? Because it's, it's, here's, we're on the reward side of the seven churches. You know, seven churches gives, you know, admonition. These are the things I like about you. This is uh, what I don't like. In fact, those who overcome. And this is where we pick up in Revelation 3, 5. And it says, one of the things that if you overcome, you were, your name will not be blotted out of the book of life. So, so we have to think, okay, well, what, what is this book of life and how can we understand it? So, so it's a good question. I would say it's, uh, it's not so difficult, but it's, it does have some nuances that we need to pay attention to. So one of the things to say is we got to let the scripture um, be the guide here. We, you know, the context is going to tell us what the book of life means. We can't just assume, okay, every time we see the book of life that we know what it means. We have to allow the context. For instance, Psalm 69, 28. Here's a good example. This is a, a psalm where it says, um, may they be blotted out of the book of life and not be listed with the righteous. So that's interesting. So these are, this is David praying. This is a messianic psalm, praying for those who will persecute and, uh, you know, who, who would um, persecute the Lord. You know, this is, look at verse 21. They put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. These are messianic psalms about Christ on the cross. And so David is praying for these people who did that, that they may be blotted out of the book of life and not be listed with the righteous. So we have to understand the book of life from, as we said, the standpoint of the context. Obviously, this context of being blotted out is possible. And Psalm 69, 28 is really good scripture to help us understand that. Why? Because it says here that they may be blotted out of the book of life. And, so what does that mean? Or even not be listed with the righteous. So if your name is in the book of life, that means your name is listed with the righteous. But because your name is listed with the righteous, in this case... It does not mean that you are saved. Now, why or what condition would that be? Can anybody think of what condition that would be? Okay. So, I will just say it. Can, can you re rephrase, that, rephrase that question? So, may they be blotted would out of the be, book of life? Would that be the condition that... that they hadn't reached uh, accountability yet? In uh, no, because he's talking about people being blotted out or removed from the book of life, right? So I'm saying, under what circumstances could this be possible? 
it could be possible when you're not talking about salvation, but you're talking about human life. So, so here, the answer is, and I, I will say that partially, if I was grading as a teacher, I would have to say, yeah, you, that's partially right. Because being blotted out of the book of life or lives, you could find some examples of that in the Old Testament and like Exodus and some of the scriptures where, the, you know, uh, God was going to blot those people out. And what did he mean by doing that? He meant to take them off of the earth. He was talking about their human life. So he was going; they were going to die. He was going to uh, execute judgment upon them, and they would die physically. And that's what he was talking about. So yes. However, in this case, th there are other cases where that is not the case. And let me just give you a scenario. So Psalm 69, 28 is a good scripture because it says at the end of it what it means and not be listed with the righteous. So how could somebody be in the book of life and not be saved? Well, you have to think about Israel. Okay, this is the answer. And, the, and if you go back to this Messianic Psalm, that's who we're talking about. We're talking about Israel. So they are listed as the righteous, with the righteous. Now, it doesn't mean they are righteous, but they're professed to be righteous. They are in the nation Israel, God's nation. But we know God's nation Israel can be a mixed multitude. There can be believers in there, and there can be unbelievers. So, but... The fact that you're God's nation means that you represent God on the earth. It's the same thing we were talking about when we looked at the, the tree in Romans 11, right? The, the wild tree that exists and how it talks about we're grafted into it only from the standpoint of the visible people of God. That's what that tree represents. God always has a witness on the earth. And his witness was Israel. And through Israel, Christ came. And even though Israel failed miserably, you might say, he, Israel failed so bad. There are theologies today that say Israel is gone forever. They will, our theology is, no, Israel is not gone. They will continue. God will reconcile them after the church is done. Some people will say, no, Israel was so bad, they're done. There is no more Israel. We are Israel. The church is now assuming the position that Israel had forever. So anyway, so just to note, Israel had, were covenant people with God, the nation Israel. So these people could be removed from the book of life. And that's what the psalmist is praying. He says, may they be blotted out of the book because of what they've done. And sure enough, they can be. They can be. So, another example of this is, uh, here, here, look at Philippians 4.3. Here, I'll read it. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women, since they have contended at my side, in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement 
and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. All right, so, so here we're talking about people who are Paul's workers, right? These are the professed people of God. And look, these women, Eudea and Sinchi, were quarreling, if you look at the context of this in Philippians. And Paul is saying, listen, help them out here, right? These women, since they have contended at my side, in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. So the book of life is representative of those who are the professed people of God. No doubt. And you could go through other scriptures, uh, like this one in Revelations three, Revelation 3, 5, where it talks about the one who is victorious will be like them dressed in white. I will never blot out that name from the book of life. So these are people who could have been blotted out, but no, the opposite is occurring, but they will be acknowledged before, their name will be acknowledged before the Father. But their name, their names could have been blotted out if they were not the people of God. And then there are some other scriptures, the beast, Revelation 17, 8, the beast which, which you saw was uh, was, now is not, and yet has come up out of the abyss and will go into destruction, the inhabitants of the earth whose names, look at this, have not been written in the book of life from the creation of the world. So, their names were never in the book of life. Now, these are the people who, he's talking about the beast and those who follow the beast their names are definitely not in the book of life. They were never in the book of life. And then in Revelation chapter 20, 12, the dead, I saw the dead, small and great, standing before the throne, and the books were open. Another book was open, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. So Revelation 12 and 20 talks about the great white throne judgment. And this... In this judgment, we have to say the difference here is that human history is over at this time. So there is no professed people of God or, uh, you know, none of that's here. These, this, is, this is just the record of who believed and who is not a believer. That's what you see. Because by believing you receive the righteousness of Christ. That is the issue in these verses. You receive the righteousness of Christ upon believing in Christ. So the book of life here, the dead are judged according to what they had done. Not just the book of life. Because right? if you're in the book of life, then you have the righteousness of Christ. But if you're not in the book of life, that means you never believed in Christ and you don't have the righteousness. And that is the issue so other books are opened, not just the book of life. Like it says, and books were opened, Revelation 20, 12. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. So it's not just the book of life, because what they will do is evaluate those people according to the works that they have done. But if, if the book, if their name is not in the book of life, then 
That's what it says in 15. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life, what about them? They were thrown into the lake of fire. So even though other books were opened, none of those books that were opened could show that they are righteous. None of them. So the fact that they don't have uh, their name in the book of life means they didn't receive Christ's righteousness. So what happens? Their name's not found written in the book of life. They're thrown into the lake of fire. Yeah. So, so this, is, this is why I say you have to pay attention to the context to determine what is meant by the book of life. Uh, but the one in Revelation 20.12 is a record. Human history is over. So there's no more battle to consider. No more uh, the people of God on the earth, you know, carrying the torch of, of God's uh, representation on the earth. No more of that. It is only now about who is a believer and who is not. Whose name is in the book of life and whose name is not in the book of life. That's when human history is done. So Revelation 20.12 has a different uh, way of uh, looking at this. So I'm going to pause for a minute to see if you guys have questions. Well, I, I see that the answer is it's complex and it's it's um, so the books of life have to deal with Israel mm -hmm. and uh, individual individuals' failure to keep the covenant. Yeah, And Absolutely. so there's, there's different meanings. And uh, you just can't just say one book of life and it covers all. Yeah. I think that's what you're saying. Yes. It's a good summary. Yeah. I wish I could have summarized it that easily. <laughs> so... But, but no, that, that's the thought. You have to look at the context to determine what is being spoken of. It could be examples like the White Gate, where people's lives are actually taken off of this earth. God is talking about blotting them out. So and what does that mean? Physical death for them. That's what it meant. So in this case, and, and remember, Israel was, they were the people of God at that time. If somebody needed to understand what salvation was, where would they go? To the Gentiles? No. To the Jews. They would go to the Jews, um, just like Jesus told the woman at the well. We could, we could say Israel was fallen, but the woman at the well, her question was about where we are to worship. And this is her question. Uh, our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews claim that the place we must worship is in Jerusalem. So Jesus said, I'm skipping a couple verses, but you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We, we Jews worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. So notice, the Jews carried the torch of the representation of God on the earth, even at that time, even before that time, when Jesus is uh, settling an argument between the Samaritans and um, and Israel, and they hated one another. 
So, the Samaritans were wrong to think salvation does come through the Jews. They were God's chosen and representatives on the earth at that time. They were his covenant people. And so salvation is from the Jews. So, but once once the church age began, what what do we say now? We don't we don't say if a person needs to be saved, we need they need to go to a Jewish synagogue. They need to find a Jew. Now, to, to understand accurately what salvation is, a person should be directed to the church, to somebody who is in the church, because we are ambassadors of Christ at this point, ministers of reconciliation. So once the church leaves in the rapture, what's going to happen? Israel, again, will pick up the ball. Right? They will pick it up, and they will again be God's representatives on the earth. So uh, then it talks about those who are declared enemies of the Jews, who are trying to kill them, not only the beast, the false prophet, right? the image of the beast, all of these things, these entities with their movements are trying to snuff out the people of God on the earth. Well, because of their stance, their names were never written in the book of life. So it's not like everybody's name is written in the book of life from the beginning. And, um, and it's, once it's in the book of life, it can stay there. That's not the point, the point of the book of life. Now, of course, when you get to Revelation 12, here's an exception to that, what I just said, because human history is over now. So take some time, think about it, and um, I'll pause to see if other questions or thoughts are out there. Yeah, just, I have one just um, additional thought that the, uh, you know, th through, through the um, human history um, in the church age, names are not necessarily written to the book of life. No. Um, and what I mean by that is I think um, because God has chosen um, who will be, who what believers will be in what age. So he, everybody is already foreknown. Yeah. Yeah, if they're in the plan. Now, of course, what, yeah. what we're dealing with, that, though, is the visible representatives of God on the earth. Now, that means our physical lives on the earth. So that's why I can say in Romans um, chapter 11 about how, uh, like verse... Um, 18, do not consider yourself to be superior to those other branches. If you do consider this, you do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief. And you stand by faith. Not, do not be arrogant, but tremble. In other words, be humble. For, for if God did not spare, spare the natural branches... He will not spare you either. So when you, when it says that, it's referring to, like what we said, the visible representatives of God on the earth. So he was talking about Israel, how they were God's people and God broke them off right? because of their what unbelief. If they would have continued in belief, they would be in the church. Right? But no, they, they're enemies, Israel, for 
our sakes, our enemies right now, because they re not only refuse to believe in Christ, but they persecute the church. So, yeah, they were, they're not God's representative people, even though they're still Jews on the earth. They're not God's representative people. They were broken off. But now we're in there. So, so what does this say about us? It says, yeah, well, you better be careful. Don't be arrogant like they were. Or you can be, uh, you don't stand, you, won't, you, can, you can be uh, broken off as well. So what is that? That is to say, just like in Revelation chapter, the churches, where it talks about he could remove our lampstand. So that means if, if a church loses the lampstand, then Christ is the light right, of the world. And we are here representing Christ. And we are not doing the things that we should be doing. Then, yeah, he could remove the lampstand from us, right? the church. And we, we will not be representatives. We will be broken off just like Israel was. So in that sense, doesn't mean these verses don't talk about salvation per se. They're talking about being a representative for God on this earth. That's what it's a reference to. So it's not necessarily about salvation here. It's talking about just like what we, we can say is in John 15 as well. Okay. So. I'm good. Thanks. Yeah. All right. Sounds like we should, at this juncture, head on into Romans for our review because we got a lot of ground to cover there. And let's see if we can make our way into Romans. So, if you have notes, and we're going to start. Now, the interesting thing is um, we didn't start taking notes in Romans until somewhere around verse 17. So when we finish Romans, we won't have a complete record of verse by verse, phrase by phrase, what we've done in Romans. Um, so we started in 17. So from 17 to the end of the chapter, we do have notes for. So just to note, and we'll continue with notes in Romans 9 and, and following, right? So we'll Maybe one day, if God willing, we'll get to those earlier chapters. There's some key chapters, three, four, five, six, even one. I wish we were taking notes at the time, although I was still working, and um, it just we did not have the time. So, But now that I do have the time, we're going to be making sure that we have some notes. So, we're going to, so covering verses 1 through 17 should should help us recall what we studied and document as well some of the things that we talked about and um, so I'm going to go through the outline here it's so we start at Romans 8 1 through 4 so let me get on to Romans 8 and so 1 through 4, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. 
For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. So I'm breaking these out, trying to keep the sections uh, that are, are spoken of here. So I'm going to go through quickly. Uh, so the first, it says the thought is continued from chapter 7. So that's what you should know, right? When you read Romans 8, don't just start at Romans 8, 1 and say there's no condemnation for those that are in, who are in Christ Jesus. That's a great verse, but there's much more that we should consider as we look at that verse. We should consider the context. What's the context? It was all that happened in seven. You know, the good that I try to do. Oh, I'm so frustrated. I can't. Pro Every time I try to do good, evil is present with me. You know, this is Paul's experience in Romans 7. But at the end, he found some relief in the person of Christ. He says, I thank God through my Lord Jesus Christ. So as an unbeliever, Paul, being a Pharisee, knowing the law, He's recounting to you his struggles. He's saying that even though he, he was a Pharisee and supposed to be like an expert in the law, he could not keep the law. He's telling you honestly. Now, he may have thought that he was keeping it earlier, but when the Spirit got hold of Paul, when the Spirit began to show Paul the true uh, condition of his heart, convicting him and to, in order to point him to Christ, Paul realized that there was not... He says, I, I, I thought I was blameless, but now there was. No, I can't even keep one commandment. Not one. He said, it just, it, the, the, just trying to keep it brought out all kinds of evil in me. That's what he's saying. So, so the thought of this, there is no condemnation to, to those who are in Christ Jesus, it's not just an island to itself. It is a cap on what previously was spoken of in those frustrating verses where Paul was going back and forth as an unbeliever. So once Paul got saved, once he saw Jesus Christ as the answer, and he believed in Jesus Christ, now a new dynamic began to work in Paul. So the first thought is, we, we have to put this in context. See this as providing solutions to the quandaries there. So it's, Paul was between a rock and a hard place. He, one time he screamed out in desperation, What a wretched man I am! Who can deliver me from this body of death? So out of frustration, Paul said that. And this is where we should understand that coming to Christ is the answer. And once we come to Christ, there's a new spiritual dynamic that is going to be at work in us. First thing we need to know, there's no condemnation to, to those who are in Christ. There is no condemnation, period. You're and then <clears throat> verse 2 explains why there is no condemnation. 
Um, so the matter is settled, and we we have to say uh, why now there's no condemnation. Point C, we now have the power of the Spirit to walk worthy of the Lord, which is which the law could never have done. Now, being a Pharisee, what Paul was after is to be able to walk righteously before God. That's why in Philippians he says, as far as the law was concerned, blameless. He thought when he didn't, he was resisting the spirit, he thought that he was fulfilling the law of God and thus walking righteously before God. Walking uprightly before God. Now God would be respecting what Paul's walk was, but it wasn't that wasn't the case. There is none righteous, not even one. No one. I don't care if you're a Pharisee or whoever you are. You are dead in your transgressions and sins, just like the rest. So, so walking worthy of the Lord means you're walking according to the standards of the Lord. That's what Paul's burning desire was. That's why he says, every time I try to do good, and he tried it, and he kept bumping his head against the wall. So finally, he's telling you, here it is. Here's what. And, and it's because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit that gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. And the law of sin and death is the principle of sin and death. It's not the law. It's the principle. And the principle comes because of what God has established through Adam. So because of what happened in Adam, all were dead, as we just talked about. You know, there's none righteous. None can do good. Not even one. And <clears throat> that's the principle that Paul ran up against when he was trying to do good. He says, I find there's, there's this principle. There's this law. Every, and here it is. Every time I try to do good, evil is with me. Now, we can't recount the whole chapter 7, but I'm just trying to summarize because we're going right into 8 here. And this is where uh, 8 is speaking to. So, so this here, verse 3, tells it again. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh. That's Romans 8, 3. The law couldn't deliver or, or create righteousness before God because it, the law doesn't have any power. The law can only condemn us. It can never give us power so that we can execute it. So so then it says the reason why it was weakened by the flesh, the sin nature. God did. Now, this because this is the quandary Paul was in, he was powerless to do good because right, because of the sin nature. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh. So, so what, what Christ came and died for all the sins, then on top of that, we who are in Christ at this point in time, this new spiritual dynamic, we died with Christ and are buried, and are resurrected with Christ. We go through the death, burial, and resurrection, as we have also studied in those chapters. So, so that's why, when it talks about that in 3, so God did it, and it, it came through the work of Christ on our behalf. 
But then the work of the Spirit came and identified us with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Verse 4, in order that the righteous requirements of the law, in other words, the thing that Paul was yearning after, the thing he was trying to fulfill in his heart that he desired so much to, might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So notice, what are we talking about now? We're talking about our walk. So the walk, don't ever go back to verse 1 and think that our walk can now condemn us. Can't. There is no now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. So the righteous requirements of the law, that means walking worthy of the Lord. Literally uh, growing in grace and fulfilling righteousness can be completely performed in us. As long as we do not live or walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So this says this was not a possibility before. The only thing we had was frustration. So, and, and all we could do, with every, every time we, we, we would try to do good, evil would overtake us. The sin nature would overrule it. We couldn't do one good act. So in verse 4, Righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us. God, once the God, the Holy Spirit, is in control, he is going to be fulfilling and leading us into all truth. Right? So, so we don't have to worry. It is actually met. This is how it's met. So then, we're going to move on in point number two, Romans. Now listen, we could spend a lot more time on Romans 8, 1 through 4, if you're not sure. I'd like to you know, take questions, but we might not ever get through this. So let's get through it first, and then we could have some time for Q&A, perhaps, even if it's not this week. But I just want to place this on your mind so that you could, you could be thinking about how these verses fit together. So Romans 8, 5 through 9 is our next section. Romans 8, 5 says, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. So now, so the true, the first point is the true power in the spiritual life is God the Holy Spirit. Right? That's, the, that's the true power. Right? It is not our will. It's not our determination. But it is God the Holy Spirit. But now we do have a role to play. Right? Um, that's for sure. Now, Galatians 5.16, uh, let me just turn there. I think you know this one. Galatians 5.16-18 through 18 says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary, contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. So, so here's the conflict, the fight. So the fight is not you. The fight is between the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and the sin nature. So that you are not, you are not to do whatever you want. You cannot do what you want to do. So you, can't, it, it, you don't have the power to perform uh, righteousness. It must come through the ministry of the Spirit. So that's why you have to walk with dependence, with reliance 
on the Holy Spirit. If you're not walking under the filling of the Spirit, then the whole that means your sin nature or the flesh will take over. Now, we're going to talk about this for a second. This is just to be clear. Point B, mindset on what the Spirit desires. This is the way we walk by the power of the Spirit. Right? Just like 1 John 1, 7. So, it's the mindset. In other words, what are your intentions? What are you thinking about? Are you thinking about fulfilling the Father's plan? Are you allowing the Spirit to lead you? Or... Uh, as First John says it, remember there are different writers with different ways of saying things. That's why we want to look at First John 1, 7, where it says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light. So now there, there it is. That's the same thing as the mind set on the spirit. If the mind set on the spirit, what the spirit desires is this, is if we walk in the light as he is in the light. That's what literally we have to do. That's our responsibility before God. What will happen if we do that? It says in 1 John 1, 7, we have fellowship with one another, and the one another is the Father and His Son, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. So this is a work that is going on inside of us. So, so if you look at this, what happens in the book of John here, this is not for Old Testament. This is, this is church age stuff that he's giving you here. This does not happen in the Old Testament. This is only happening now. That's the way John describes us walking in, in the light or walking in truth or, or being, having a mind set on what the Spirit desires is walking in the light. That's, and this is how Paul says it in Romans. Okay, so just to note, First John 1, 7, that's the way we walk and avail ourselves of the power of the Spirit of truth. Point number C, the mind set on the flesh. Okay, okay, so it says that you are determined to walk by the flesh. In other words, when you, your mind is set, it is your desire to allow the flesh to control your thinking. That is what you're desiring. Your mind is set on what the flesh desires, what the flesh wants. And if you do that, then you are not walking by the power of the Spirit. So notice there are two ways that you can walk. Right, I'm going back to Romans here, I know. Uh, you guys are probably saying, yeah, we know these things, Doug, I know. But we want to cover them again just, just briefly here. So, the key here is, is in four, because it tells you now that two things are available to you. The righteous fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Notice, you can live according to the flesh, and you now can live according to the Spirit. So, it just depends on which condition you set your mind to. So those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death. The mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. We're talking about life, and he's going to show you what it means in the next section here. 
Okay, so the mindset on the flesh right, is, uh, let me see, where, where's in my notes here? Point C, mindset on the flesh says you are determined to walk by means of the flesh, its desires. Point D, those in the realm of the flesh, right, uh, and this is verse 8, those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God, okay? So, so what is that? That is a reference to unbelievers. That's what it means. And here, remember, we when we talk about the goal here, we're not talking about salvation. We're talking about, as we are in John, producing fruit. So if you walk according to the flesh, you will definitely not produce any fruit. You will, uh, you can do nothing. You are in the you are operating in the realm of death. That's what it's a reference to. So those, so those who are, so those who are in the realm of the flesh. This is in verse eight, is akin to unbelievers, and the result is already stated in Romans three twelve, which says there is none who do good, not even one, none who do good, not even one, and then Romans seven five is a good scripture to con that illustrates this, for verse five. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, notice, the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us, so we bore fruit for death. So, so notice what, what it means, death, right? What he, what he means by death. He's talking about that we are not bearing fruit for God. He's talking about bearing fruit in the realm of those who are spiritually dead. That's the only thing we could do. That's the only thing we could produce uh, as unbelievers. And then point E, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh. So here, this scripture is, listen, no matter what happens, you are a believer. You are not an unbeliever. So those in the realm of the flesh here in verse 8 are unbelievers. Verse uh, verse 9, is it verse 9? Let me go back. Hold on. Romans 8. Yeah. Verse 9. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh. So being in the realm of the flesh uh, is unbeliever. That means that's, that's all you have. But... But we are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do, do not belong to Christ. So he's contrasting what powers uh, the unbeliever has with the powers that the believer has, because the Spirit of God lives in us. So this is important to note. Even if you are operating outside of the will of God as a believer... You are not in the realm of the flesh. We are in the realm of the spirit because the spirit is at work in us. So no matter what happens in our lives, God owns us. And this is, uh, these are the dynamics that are going on in us. The realm of the spirit, it, it clearly tells us we are not in the realm of the flesh. But who are we? We're in the realm of the spirit. And of course, there are conditions to that. You got to be saved. You can't be somebody fronting here because if you're fronting, then you still only have 
the realm of the flesh. You only have the powers of the realm of the flesh. So, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh. This is point E in our notes. Uh, believers, and in this age, the moment anyone be, should be believes in Christ, I'm correcting my note here, the Spirit's ministries are operable. So even if you, you are walking according to the flesh as a believer, you think the Spirit just sits there and allows that to happen? He continues to be grieved, to try to urge you to walk in truth, try to get your attention. There may be discipline. There, there are things going on in the believer. Like it says, he disciplines every son he receives. So that you are in the realm of the Spirit even when you operate in the realm of the, or, or if you walk, let's put it this way, in the flesh, or if you allow the flesh to dictate in your, to you in your life. Okay. Romans 8, 10 and 11, point number three. So 10 and 11, the life we live in our mortal bodies is given the power to perform righteousness by means of the Spirit. That's verse 10. Let me read it. But if Christ is in you, in you, even though your body is subject to death. Now, this is an important section here. So the life we have in our mortal bodies is given the power to perform righteousness by means of the Spirit. So when I say that, the life you have in your mortal body, literally, even though we still have these bodies of corruption, these bodies that look like Adam. And even though that's the case, we're, but we're saved. There is no condemnation. We are in the realm of the Spirit. All that's true of us, but we still live in these mortal or bodies that are subject to death. So God has provision for us while we're here on the battlefield in this state. He's saying... That the Spirit gives life, we're here, the, the Spirit, the, the life that we have in our mortal bodies, and he's talking about the life that God gives, is given the power to perform righteousness by means of the Spirit. So there it is, what we were talking about. We're not talking about salvation, but we're talking about works, how we walk. Right? This is more evidence of that. Romans 7, 6 says it this way. 7, 6, but now, <clears throat> by dying to what bound us, remember the death, burial, and resurrection that we went through, we have been released from the law so that we serve in, a, in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So this new way of the Spirit is the power that we've been talking about that's in our mortal bodies right now. Point B, spirit who raised Christ from the dead is living in you. See, this is, let me go back to 8 here. I keep switching. So here, and this is verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead is living in you, he who, who raised Christ from the dead, that's the spirit, will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. So, so there it is. The Spirit lives in you, right? And what what life are you getting is the question. Well, here, the key in verse 11 is 
the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. So what is that? That's Christ's resurrection power, right? The spirit raised, the father raised Christ from the dead through the spirit. And we are raised to this level, but we still live in these bodies of corruption. But what kind of life do we have in these bodies of corruption? We have the resurrection life. That's how we should see it. So that's what we are to see in verse here, Romans 6, 3, and 4, right? Where it says, literally, I'm going to turn to 6, 3, and 4. Or do you not know that all of us were baptized into Christ, were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, here it is, we too may live a new life. That's the resurrection life that the Spirit is reproducing in us. So even though we're living in these mortal bodies, the resurrection life of Christ is what is being reproduced in us by the Spirit of truth. That's what these two verses are letting us know. Let's keep going. So, give life to your mortal body so that we can fulfill God's purpose during this temporal life. That's point C. Because there's a period now that we have between uh, once we're saved and uh, the resurrection or the what we would call the rapture or our absent from the body present with the Lord. So, Moving on to point number four, Romans 8. What's our time? Of course, we're not going to finish, but that's okay. I think these verses were important for us to go over. So Romans 8, 12 through 14. So we have an obligation. So we are in the realm of the Spirit and we belong to Christ. We have been designed to operate by means of the Spirit. That's verse 12. Yeah, that, that is literally how we've been designed. It is through the spirit of truth that we are to walk. So we have an obligation, and it is not to the flesh to live according to it. So God created that obligation because once the spirit took up residence in our bodies, God owns us. And now, the life that we live in the flesh, we ought to live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us now it is none of this has to do with your salvation remember i have to keep saying that because people will <clears throat> try to make these verses out to be some sort of salvation condition which is not not the case so point b there are consequences to the way we live as believers and this is not to say god is saying go ahead have fun do all you want whatever you want to do is fine no he, he lays it out for you. There are consequences. But remember, these consequences can never reach the position of salvation that we have in Christ. Never. Because that is not the point. Well, what can happen? Well, we could not produce works. We could be like a branch that withers and dries up. But we could certainly be disciplined. But we will never be condemned with the world. So... Some of those verses in John uh, 15, 5 and 6 and 1 Corinthians eleven thirty two reflect those thoughts. Point number C. 
God's ideal for us is to be led by the Spirit. And that's verse 14. So verse 14 is not some uh, island to itself. He's saying what God's ideal is. He's saying what uh, God's ideal uh, design for our lives and what we were designed for. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God, right? Isn't that what it said in, in, um, in Ephesians 1? Uh, not Ephesians 1, I'm sorry. John 16, 13, where it talks about uh, he's, he has much more to tell us, more than we can now bear. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will lead us or guide us into all truth. And that's, that is what the Spirit's job is. And that's what he's talking about, who we are. are the, who we are are those who are led by the Spirit of God. That's literally. Now, that can't be true of any unbeliever. That's not true of anybody in Israel. Those things are unique to the church age, period. So, point number five, Romans 8, 15 through 17. So, we're getting into another thought. Here, Romans eight fifteen through 17. Let's get in. The Spirit's ministries make all the difference in us, causing us to be united to Christ, not giving us fear, but confidence in our Father. That's verse 15. So, Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship and by him we cry abba or father so this is um to say now because of the spirit we are learning more things about what the spirit effect what effect the spirit has on us it's not just allowing us to walk in truth or to perform righteousness or to fulfill the righteous requirements of law these are all ways this is said Right? or to walk according to the light. Here, the Spirit has done something else for us that is important. And it is, what it's saying, it's some, we now have adoption to sonship. Now, this is Roman-style adoption, where we're talking about a transfer of wealth and power. That's what Roman-style adoption is. Not just, well, you know, you don't have a son, so, we'll, we'll, or, or, or a son who doesn't have a father, right? Or a child who doesn't have a father. And then somebody says, oh, I feel sorry for you. I'm going to adopt you. Well, this adoption has to do with how Roman emperors transferred power from one emperor to the next. So, they picked what they called a son or an adoptee. And they would, there would be a ceremony. It doesn't have to be his physical son. It could be whoever he picked. And there would be a ceremony and power would be transferred from the one Caesar to the next. Paul understood this and he uses this analogy to help us understand how we received sonship. How we ourselves are sons. And we know it is the ministries of the Spirit, the baptism in particular of the Spirit, that unites us to the person of Christ. So this, this is 15 through 17. So how uh, is the next question? 
How does this happen? The spirit uh, ministries make all the difference, causing us to be united to Christ, not giving us fear, but confidence in our Father. How does that happen? The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So that's verse 16. And that goes along with what we read in Rome, uh, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, where it talks about the spirit is given to us as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the purchased possession of those who are the redemption of those who are the purchased possession. So notice these two verses, these are sister verses, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, Romans 8, 16. You read those together because they are demonstrating to you what the deposit is, how the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit, lets us know. Inward testimony. This is not an external testimony where we hear the voice of God. This is something where the Spirit is already inside of us. But He Himself testifies, teaches us, makes real to us, manifests to us that we are, in fact, God's children. This is so, so God, and again, remember, we didn't just, we're not just children of God, so now we could say God is our Father. There is a tremendous transfer of wealth and power. That's the point that Paul is making. So, point C. Um, so this is, uh, we're in the eighth point number 5C. So spiritual logic demands that since we are children, then we're heirs. That's, this is the, this is verse 17. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. This is this is a debater's technique. It was to show a point of logic. So using the if meaning since. If this is true, since this is true, then this is also true. Right? The if then logic. If we are children, then we are heirs. So this is spiritual logic from the Apostle Paul. And it it says that we are heirs. Now, there are two things in this verse that we're going to definitely have to get to before we quit tonight. So, these two things are spelled out here in these next verses, but I'm going to get to it. So, when you look at Ephesians 1, 17 and 18, which I need to read, Ephesians 1, 17 and 18, we're children, then we're heirs, right? Uh, here it is. So it says, 17, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Here, two things that we said, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. So there's the wealth part, and it's incomparably great power for us to believe. There's the power part of our adoption to sonship. So those verses speak of our sonship, our inheritance, right? And this is what he's saying here in uh, verse uh, 17, where it says, um, it demands that we're children, right? If we are children then we are heirs. And that heirship speaks to 
the wealth part of it. So let's look at um, the second point D. And co-heirs with Christ, if we walk in His shoes. In other words, if we we do this while He was here on earth, this is what He did and was rewarded. If if we are since we're here now, if we walk in His steps, we will also be rewarded. We will receive glory with Christ. Just like Revelation 3.21, which talks about, He who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me in my throne when he rules this world. So he's taught, if we suffered in this world, we are going to be rewarded in this world. Christ suffered in this world, he's going to get a reward for doing that. We can share in that reward as sons. We have a right now to be able to do that. We're co-heirs. We're not co-heirs of Christ. We're co-heirs with Christ. Side by side with Christ. If we walk in his shoes. So notice. Now here. Um, I know we're getting long in the hour. So here. Point, uh, Romans 8. 18 through 22 is our next section. So point A. A special glory is to be revealed in us. Apart from the suffering we may go through down here. And this suffering is not worth comparing with the inherent glory. This is verse 18. This is what I wanted to really make sure we got. We, I brought it out, but I wanted to make sure that uh, it's something that you see. So notice, there are two things going on in verse 17. The logic of, well, we're children, then we're heirs. We're heirs of God. And the second thing is, we're co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may share in his glory. So he takes that thought into verse 18. He says that I can I consider that our present sufferings. So he's talking now about the second part of verse 17, where he says that we're co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings. So he's assuming that, yeah, we do share in his sufferings, but he's saying that I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. What glory? The glory that we get from just being children and then being heirs. Heirs of God. So whatever suffering, whatever those rewards are, they're nothing or not even to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. So I'm hoping you see that the, the greater thing here, I hate to say greater and lesser, because that we may share in his glory, if we indeed share in his sufferings, we may share in his glory. I don't know how we can make that lesser, but it is. Eight, verse 18 makes it lesser than the glory that will be revealed in us because of the fact that we're children and heirs. So let's read 18 again. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing. So we're not supposed to compare the suffering glory that we get, that we will live on earth and reign with Christ, with the glory that will be revealed in us. We're not to, we're, it's, we're not to compare that glory with the other. Why? Because one exceeds the other uh, by, by uh, a magnanimous, amount. So it's not even worth comparing. We're not to compare it. So that's what I said in point A, 6A, special glory, special glory. 
is to be revealed in us, apart from the suffering we may go through down here. And this suffering is not worth comparing with this inherent glory that we have. So that's, in, that's what verse 18 brings us. So point B, creation, it's personified here in these next verses, right? Verses 18 through 22. It's not just affecting what happens on earth. or It's all creation will be affected by that glory of the sons of God. And I think we're going to have to have an end point here as we reach this point. Just before we do, we're going to have to continue with these next week. So uh, the next uh, verses are off the chart, talking about that glory, that special glory that belongs to us, is inherently with us, and how it affects all creation. When we say all creation, we're talking about the universe, including planet Earth. Uh, so we're going to talk about that next time, and um, how that's different and what our destiny is so i think we're going to have to end at this point let's bow our heads as we close thank you father for this opportunity we have before us and the reason is is because you chose us in him before the creation of the world you foreknew us you predestined us you called us before time began and you justified us in time. And you glorified us. You will glorify us in the eternal state. So we thank you for this privilege. <clears throat> we pray that we will walk worthy of the calling that we have received. And that we will uh, be appreciative. And show love for your plan. Just as you are, Father. Your Son has. And the Holy Spirit is also leading us to. So thank you for the words that are written in your holy word. And we pray that we will cherish them. That we will meditate upon them. So that we can come to know with confidence who we are in Christ. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.